Well, hey, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hey, everyone. My name is Ram Ayengar. I am currently serving as the chief evangelist at the Cloud Foundry Foundation. What that means is uh, lots of free t-shirts and opportunities <laughs> to speak with tons and tons of folks and um, get all the applause for the great work that the community has been doing so far. <laughs> so, like, what... Uh... Like what? What do you do? Like like week to week in in that role. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, um, which is kind of boring in terms of governing the community and keeping the calls running and making sure that uh, folks have the information that they want. They're not blocked sure. by some GitHub workflows not working and the right repos not being archived and all of that stuff. Yeah, but there's also the opportunity to keep pushing the boundaries on what the community is working on and experiment with the stuff that's coming out every week. Um, so right now, I'm working with one of our uh, newer projects known as Cloud Foundry Kurifi, and I'm getting that to work on different infrastructure providers right. based on the documentation that the um, community members have uh, given. So um, some of the stuff that you know, we discover along the way are stuff that's undocumented and uh, stuff that's new and uh, stuff that might trip people up. So um, a lot of that also happens during the week. Yeah, that, that sounds like something that one of my uh, one of my friends, this guy Matt Ray, ends up doing at a lot of companies he works at, which is, you know, it often goes under the name of like community management or like you're saying, you know, mm -hmm. advocate. But it, 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 uh, it involves this mixture of of, as you're saying, you know, pointing out awesome stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. And helping with that. And, and then also like some, uh, some like uh, taking care of like the, the infrastructure of the community and a little bit of like, like partner channel stuff here and there as, as we yeah. would use our lingo for it. And then, uh, you know, whatever else comes around <laughs> as, as far Correct. as like <laughs> help, helping out with a, with an open source project that has a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people working on it but they're usually more focused on their actual like technical task rather than mm -hmm. making sure that the whole sphere of things uh, is, is working out well, which takes a special kind of person to like doing all those things. Yeah, uh, I, I like to often refer to myself as user number zero for mm. um, whatever projects that the community is working on. Um, so it's, you know, always a pleasure um to to start working on some stuff uh, and be the first person to do it uh, on a lot of occasions outside from the contributors themselves yeah so i i should know this number you probably know but like cloud foundry has been around for a while now <laughs> and mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> like it's been through many like phases in in uh well i mean like anything that's been a while it's it's, it's had an interesting life and like how do you think of like the identity of Cloud Foundry now? Like, like beyond like what is it? But like what what like if you were to meet Cloud Foundry somewhere, like what would it be like? What what would it like to talk about? And you know, would it would it uh, would it be cheery? Would it dress nice? Would it uh, be into <laughs> gardening? Like like how what's the identity of it that that you think of it? So the way the community and the way the the project itself has uh, meandered is it, it's looking at a lot of active contributions 
there's a lot of folks who still swear by cloud foundry for whatever mm. uh, they do it's seeing a lot of success in the industries that it's being put to use at and if i were to you know create an uh uh a human for give a human form uh, to cloud foundry it would be a middle aged a person wearing a nice suit in the middle of a street in switzerland or something like that okay not quite retired uh-huh. very professional still uh, very functional still um i dare say anybody meet me and use the word legacy when referring to cloud foundry uh, that would drive me mad <laughs> but uh, yeah it's um, there's there's some parts of the project that uh seem uh slightly older um and not as relevant to folks in this era of orchestrated containers um in 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 kubernetes and with like the docker wave uh, there was a whole push for folks to move away from what cloud foundry was doing and then with kubernetes yet another push drew a lot of users away from uh cloud foundry and so there's been like a couple of waves uh, that we've seen where uh, folks have been drawn away from it but we're also seeing growth from our big consumers like the tanzu uh, the people who work on the tanzu portfolio come back to us and saying there's a lot more users who are getting on board and there's a lot more users who are putting more applications on board cloud foundry and so they they have very positive things to say in those terms um but then what we are not seeing is the kind of adoption that we saw say 5 or 8 years ago mm, right so um that's why i say slightly aging person <laughs> sure so uh, sort of sort of but yeah it is what in, it is uh, and in their career yeah with, with with some of the newer projects we are seeing a lot of um adoption from like smaller teams as well and um, there's 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 many reasons for it we can probably go through it uh, during the course of the chat but yeah that's what it is yeah and and to your point right like i was just uh uh reviewing refreshing my memory there was there was a uh, uh, like there was this platform con the second one last week and i was watching the yeah. uh, the talk that the mercedes benz people who run cloud foundry give and like you know mm-hmm. i mean they they've been using it for quite some time and they run like 300 applications in in production and you know 1500 services and on and on and on and uh i think i think they said they have about eight people who support it right and so it is like right. it is it is it is well dressed and in control of its destiny <laughs> and it's and it's life right <laughs> and uh you know there's there's plenty of other uh organizations like that uh who are are uh running their actual businesses on it or significant parts of their businesses which mm-hmm. which is great and like so what what it like you know you're 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 mentioning at the beginning right like working with uh with various people to get like cloud foundry running with kubernetes on top of like uh various cloud providers out there like what's what's like the goal with with getting cloud foundry and kubernetes working with each other like what's what's up with that hmm. so cloud foundry was meant always to take a code base and return a url for 
that code running as an application and it was meant to obfuscate whatever the infrastructure was this is running on so right um obviously the big success was to run these on vms and so if a majority of the developer audience want to work with kubernetes right now for reasons unknown cloud foundry should be able to provide that exact same experience on kubernetes based infrastructure and so that's the vision for trying something like this people want a lot of the advantages of what kubernetes can provide cloud foundry was already providing all of these advantages with a diego its runtime and with a lot of its own homegrown um, orchestration layers and things like that and so it was essentially giving developers what they want in terms of you know bringing the best of both worlds and converging this notion of convenience for developers and this notion of obfuscating the infrastructure underneath and so if they want kubernetes then the community should be able to provide the cloud foundry convenience on kubernetes mm. that's really it yeah yeah you know you're you're i, I was thinking sim- something similar this morning to what you're just saying is is the i think this is true like like the the as you're saying like the what would it be the design goal is the wrong word but a use case scenario that it seems like the primary use case scenario starts with like developers in in cloud mm-hmm. foundry right like it starts with what the developer experience is going to look like and then more or less like works back into the stack from there right so it mm-hmm. has this view of that whereas like if you look at like uh like a kubernetes it more or less starts with like the inf- what the infrastructure is doing and <laughs> and, and like and what you see currently is like i mean my theory of of how all the container stuff and and kubernetes and all the platforms and service stuff has evolved is that uh like like kubernetes starts with that infrastructure thing and just about now everyone's like yeah it should be usable by developers <laughs> and so you know hence hence the uh, you know and and i think that's fueled along with all sorts of other stuff fueled a lot of interest in in like this this arguably slightly new concept of platform engineering right and it's right. it's taking the idea of like okay you know we're not we're not doing kubernetes the hard way anymore because we figured that out or we just run it in uh in the public clouds or whatever but now we need to like finish it off to get back up to the the developer part or the application developer uh part there right, right. and that that seems to that seems to be you know there's finally this this reconvergence of like the lower level container orchestration back to just like platform as a service stuff uh which is great now now yeah. you know we can we can pay attention to application developers uh on on the whole again um and uh yeah i mean i'm i'm continually like uh whimsically bemused <laughs> by by that path of things but um it does it does seem like now there's a lot to share between those two communities right like you know with respect to like well here's like i was mentioning mercedes and there's countless other ones but here's here's how we've been running platforms and and paying attention to uh to developers uh in that area which hopefully will pan out of the next the next year or so but but to that like 
you know, in that area, like one thing I was also curious about, like, so if I look at like what platform engineering is, which is like this evolving notion uh, of, I don't know, incrementally evolving DevOps, essentially, like it mm -hmm. seems like in platform engineering, there's a big emphasis on developer tools, like the project management stuff they use, the internal developer portals. And I was, I was, well, instead of me doing the thinking out loud in the form of a question, like, what do you think cloud foundries, again, to personify it, but you know, the community, like what's cloud foundries relationship with developer tools? Like how deeply integrated does it want to be with developer tools or not? Like what's its approach to the develop, the developer tool world? So historically, the Cloud Foundry community swore by the Cloud Foundry core, obviously. So with Bosch and um, all of that other fun stuff. And then they also backed the Concourse project. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's a very popular niche CI tool um, that, again, puts the developer experience at the forefront. And a lot of people who've used it just swear by it, um, which is something that I love about uh, the projects by the community. And then there was also back in the day, a pivotal issue tracker, um, mm. which, which the Cloud Foundry was a community was uh, very used very heavily. So it's always been part of the community's effort to continue to provide developer tooling for a lot of the uh, needs of the community and serve in a developer-first mindset, serve um, technologists and engineers and engineering teams um, in a manner that puts the developer experience ahead of any product thinking or any other usability thinking, um, stuff like that. Because, I, again, in the concourse example, if you look at some of the UIs and the artifacts and the placements, it's, it's not the most visually pleasing um, interface of all. but for developers uh, who want their pipelines programmed in a certain way and who want their interfaces to work in a certain way, um, Concourse is something that they love and uh, they continue to uh, make use of it irrespective of where they go and things like that. So um, th there have also been a bunch of other attempts at providing like a ClickOps UI layer over mm. a Cloud Foundry um, installation. Um, it was called Stratos. Um, at the moment, it's in like uh, an archived slash maintenance mode, and there's there's been some efforts to renew it um, along the way. But like uh, Stratos is another example of a project where the need for a UI based tool to uh, serve as a dashboard, to serve as a place to uh, easily create services and um, in you know float. Uh, instances of an app and manage the app lifecycle all through like a UI point and click mechanism was enabled for the community. So the community has always been aware of these needs and they've responded uh, from time to time with tools and other things that um, again were aimed at core cloud foundry in a lot of ways uh, but also just generally served the ecosystem. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and like, yeah, like my, you know, like what I was thinking to this morning is the, like, historically and probably futurely, <laughs> if, if that's the way of putting it, like 
the 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 cloud foundry world isn't very interested in like the sort of like portals that developers use right like the mm. that and that seems to be like the main difference of that between like platform engineering and just like devops <laughs> you know yeah. broad yeah. broadly put right is that you you essentially say like oh well we want to use like like you know backstage or the humanitech thing or whatever but we want the you know it's almost like DevOps click ops <laughs> or, yeah, or whatever yeah. to use a silly term but you know having having more of that like project listing of things that you would have in an internal developer portal and things like that which is it doesn't seem like cloud foundry so interested in like tightly integrating with and subsuming into that in the same way that like the emerging platform engineering practices but i'm also comparing like a technology to yeah yeah, yeah. practices <laughs> but like but uh, there's a there's a there's a second part to my answer as well, which is over time we've seen you know, cloud foundry and the community become slightly more open and slightly less opinionated in terms of these exact tools that must be used with cloud mm. foundry so um eight years ago when you looked at cloud foundry, it was always about you know this is our stack, these are our pipelines, like it or leave it um you know so uh, that that's changed and that's a very significant sort of shift within the community where we've seen a pass tool become slightly less and less opinionated over the years um swapping out the cloud foundry based diego orchestrator for kubernetes was you know one of these major shifts yeah um, there was also the notion of building garden containers within cloud foundry and then they allowed Docker containers to be pushed to uh, push through CF essentially, and um, Docker containers being deployed and managed through the Cloud Foundry interface. And so, every time the community has sort of shifted, um, the the I mean the larger tech community has shifted. The Cloud Foundry has created these minor changes in the product and reduced a lot of the rigidity, even in just this whole converging Cloud Foundry and Kubernetes attempts. The first attempt was uh, just swapping out the Kubernetes uh, orchestrator with whatever Cloud Foundry had. And for the rest of the you know, peripheral projects that were required, you still continue to make use of Cloud Foundry-based tools. And so the next iteration was, you know, let's swap out a few more components for CNCF projects. And then the present iteration is a very thin API shim for the Kubernetes layer. And then the rest of it is, you know, pick whatever set of CNCF projects you want to work with, and you basically can make Cloud Foundry work with them. So I think it's it's a it's a nice way of keeping a less opinionated, a more true to open source sort of route. Um, and uh, you know, showcasing how this project can fit into a lot of different workflows and doesn't have to be very rigid. Yeah. So, so let's let you, like you, you know, you kind of went over the, uh, some, some evolutions of the overall community, right? Like what, you know, what would you say, like, who are the people and, and organizations involved in the cloud, uh, foundry community now? Like what, what's the, who makes up the community? So the big uh, contributors are VMware uh, with their Tanzu portfolio uh, and SAP. 
So SAP Cloud Platform is essentially uh, a Cloud Foundry redressed as the SAP platform. So a majority of our contributors come from these two areas. We also have a bunch of different highly regulated, uh, very federated industries in the form of some governments, banks and um, other places, which uh, which also have like a bunch of different contributors coming. So like cloud.gov in the US mm. and uh, gov.uk PaaS uh, in the UK are both major consumers of the Cloud uh, Foundry platform. Um, they have a bunch of different contributors uh, get in on the open source stuff as well. There's a few uh, smaller vendors. Um, there's like any nines who I think are based out of Germany. Yeah, uh, that sounds right. There was, yeah, Engineer Better who were based out of the UK. Um, I think they've gone through some acquisition and so um, I think they're no longer like major contributors like they were before. There was Stark and Wayne, which is also a slightly distributed sort of uh, uh, vendor who was big on Cloud Foundry. Um, and they also went through a recent acquisition and uh, we're not sure about how much they're going to come back and be able to contribute and things like that. But um, yeah, that's our, uh, that's our major spread. There's also like a bunch of people who consume Cloud Foundry. Um, so like, I think the government of South Korea or something have a tool called PASTA, P-A-S-T-A. Clever. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and they consume Cloud Foundry, but we don't see as much participation from a lot of others. So um, I'm, I'm not going to name as many names, but uh, yeah. Um, so those are like our major uh, contributors. And um, for some specific projects like Paketo Build Packs, which is an implementation of cloud native build packs, is a Cloud Foundry Foundation owned project. Um, and, and those have a few more contributors like from Bloomberg and uh, there's IBM uh, who do good work on Paketo Build Packs and stuff. And so, um, yeah, some of the other uh, foundation projects are seeing uh, an uptick. In, in maintainers from different companies. But uh, a majority of the core Cloud Foundry contributions are, you know, VMware and SAP. Yeah, you, you know, so you bring, you know, mentioning Paketo and build packs and cloud native build packs. That's, that's another interesting area I don't wander in around too much is it does seem like, well, I don't know, maybe you, you can tell me otherwise, but it seems like the largest part of the cloud foundry community that isn't like purely cloud foundry right like like that like build cloud build packs and cloud native build packs are you know can can and are used in non cloud foundry environments as as i recall yep. right so it's sort of like yep. how how did that happen like how did how did it like like escape the 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 cloud foundry garden so to speak or not escape, so, how did it grow into yeah. in addition to... So. Yeah, no, I, I understand the intent of the question. Um, yeah. the, the, in, the purpose of build packs was... Uh, the, cloud, the purpose of cloud-native build packs was never to be tightly coupled with the Cloud Foundry ecosystem. It was mm -hmm. always thought of as an independent uh, sort of project. Um, it always carried the vision of being a more general purpose container build system. Um, and that's what it has continued to, uh, you know, remain. So 
uh, it, its core purpose was to overlap with the larger uh, container and container orchestration community vis-a-vis the Kubernetes community. And uh, it has seen adoption in, in these areas and there's some implementations. I mean, even last week, there was this demo by uh, somebody from ING um, based out of somewhere uh, in Central Europe. And they spoke to us about how they're implementing Spark build packs and like Jupyter notebooks inside build packs. And All right. uh, they've, they've created a whole platform for their uh, data scientists using build packs. And um, this has nothing to do with you know cloud foundry or whatever and so you know in terms of uh, watching the community grow into areas that are slightly beyond it, it just makes us very happy in in one sense that you know the, the the project is serving a lot of needs that you know it was basically envisioned to do but there's also a path towards providing full cloud native build pack support within cloud foundry and so once that happens then you know this only improves the potential of now you can use cloud foundry for getting all of these workloads available through cloud foundry so mm. um, you you only serve to broaden the horizon in the long term um, with these tangential sort of short term explorations that you allow Right, right, and and then and then you know, can can you uh, like describe what a build pack is, and and like like most importantly, like what you you can see, I like to uh, anthropomorphize or make human technologies yeah. a lot, but like you know, like what's what's the the philosophy of how you like package up and deploy and configure applications that a build pack and a cloud native build pack like has? Mm-hmm. What's what's its approach? Mm-hmm. So, build packs borrow from uh, the early Heroku version and the early Cloud Foundry version. And um, the design goal is to basically allow developers to give the platform access to source code mm. without necessarily having to specify different build paths for different languages. So build packs act as that interface that say, okay, here's an incoming you know, source code and let's figure out how best to build this right? through a means of uh, detection and analysis that basically goes in and says, okay, I can see a um, bunch of uh, Python files. I can see a set of Python-based dependencies described in this um, dependencies file. So let me pick that up and, you know, um, decide that uh, this is a Python application that's meant to run on so-and-so. And so um, you can also create build packs for like a multi-language application. So if you have a, let's say, PHP backend that you want five instances of and you have a React frontend, which is a very common thing um, with two instances. And so build packs allow you to figure out okay, this is how you want the application architected. And this comes at zero cost to the application developer. So time and again, the philosophy of the com- you know, community continues to remain, 
how can I make the developer think less and work less for these peripheral things like describing the application and architecture, meta files like a Docker file, let's say. And how do you eliminate all of this extra work for the developer? And how do you continue to keep them focused on app development itself? And so build packs take up this role of eliminating the need for something like a Docker file. And um, if you remember like the Heroku experience of, you know, Git push master Heroku, yada, yada. So you don't necessarily specify what's the language your repo uh, is, is or what's the language in which the source code is inside your repo. You just give it access to the repo and Heroku is able to figure it out. Same with Cloud Foundry. And that same model continues to, you know, become true with cloud native build packs and Paketo build packs or however you want to call it. And it's essentially that preservation of that developer experience that, you know, time and again is at the forefront of uh, the foundation's projects. And in the case of build packs, it's a bunch of scripts that go in, figure out what is needed, what is not, and provide this sort of simple golden path for developers. That being said, there's a lot you can do to customize build packs to work the way you want as well. And so it comes with all of the hooks you need in order to configure build packs the way you want it and make use of build packs for very customized versions of a platform that you want to uh, build and set up. So um, it, it sort of you know works uh, well both ways. Essentially, uh, the anatomy of the build pack is a collection of scripts. It's divided into a life cycle, so four or five different stages. Um, you detect, um, and then you do a bunch of analysis and see if you know the image layers are already built and if you have caches and things like that. And then you do the actual build itself of the app. And then the final step is an export. So you have scripts for each of these different phases that are just triggered and uh, runs. Right, and 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 like you said, I mean, I think I think. One of the things that's appealing uh, to, as you were mentioning earlier, regulated organizations and and highly regulated organizations. Although I feel like I I, I bet if you're working in a regulated organization, it always feels highly, <laughs> no no matter what. Uh, but is you know well, I guess it's kind of a side effect, but by now it's an intended effect. Is that when you use the the build pack scheme, you essentially can control how software is built and assembled and deployed and configured instead of yep. and and you know to put it on the in in the I always joke that I don't talk like this to develop application developers this is more of an uh, like an infrastructure concern but you basically can constrain what developers do or I think the new word I try to use is you can simplify it <laughs> right yeah. like like you and and you know I think I think the the benefit of that is that if you if you can control how things are built and configured and packaged and deployed, then it's easier to manage a lot of them, right? Like hundreds and hundreds of those and kind of go through and modify that as like as like that little team at uh, at Mercedes, right? You can go through and the team that runs the platforms owns how it's built and, and configured and deployed versus all those developer teams who have to go in and fiddle around with that when when there's a change. Yep. Which I think is, uh, you know, that's like, you know, going back to the, the the Kubernetes stuff. Like that's one of the starker contrasts between the two, the two approaches of the the Swiss gentleman and 
however we'd personify Kubernetes. <laughs> like, the, the, the rascally American probably would be a good, a good characterization of it, um, is that kind of simplifying things uh, on, on, on the developer angle there. And, you know, you also, you, you, you know, you brought up Heroku a few times, and I wonder, like, for all types of container-driven architectures and development, like the 12-factor the app is still like this huge, like, thought technology that people have, which... I remember, you know, back when I was an analyst at Redmonk, I mean, I think it was in 2009 or something or, or eight that okay. they came out with these 12 yep. factor things. And so it's like one of the more enduring, like general architectural things, like maybe right after the, uh, I don't know, whatever, sort of like enterprise patterns and things like that. But like, how, how do you think, like, do you think that that's held up or like, is it something is it more of a useful like guide, like these 12 factors or like what's the current state of it now as far as its kind of usefulness versus a delightful artifact of, of architectural history? Uh, in my opinion, it's sort of become relegated to this very boring attribute that nobody cares about anymore because it's kind of right. become the default, right? Yeah. So um, that's... That's really what it has become today. So um, I was amazed the first time I saw Heroku and uh, the 12-factor principles were, you know, great when I read about them. It, it definitely seemed to make things convenient. And um, it was obviously very difficult to realize uh, from the world that I was coming from um, to be able to write true 12-factor uh, apps for everything I was doing. But um, the principles, like you mentioned, continue to endure. Um, they're always in the background somewhere. Um, they're not yeah. named as much right now, but um, you know they've they're they're there. They're um, they they stood the sort of um, testament of time in, in the software world, and uh, they they continue to be relevant uh, in parts um, in 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 everywhere I see. Yeah, no, I, that's a good way of putting it. They're just like part of the systems now. So no one thinks about yeah. them <laughs> right there. It's, it's almost like, you know, asking people what they think about asphalt. <laughs> it just doesn't really come up very often, but it's, uh, it's, it's used every day. Well, you know, something, you know, the, the other, the other things I, I, I was like asking people like yourself, people always asking me, this is like, well, first of all, how, how did you end up in like the tech world? What's what's your own like path to sitting here today? Well, I went to school um, and studied computer science. There was uh, very little else that I was qualified for uh, uh, after a college degree. Um, I started off as a programmer. Um, I was very mediocre as a programmer, but I had you know, a lot of fun in talking about the stuff that I built and understanding systems better and things like that. And um, I quit uh, being a programmer in favor of uh, switching to academics and teaching computer science. Um, I did that for a few years. And then, you know, I figured I wanted like a programmer's salary, but I wanted a, a lecturer or a professor's job description so, <laughs> right right and, that that does sound this, like an attractive mix <laughs> yes and so and so uh, this path of 
you know, developer relations happened along um, when I was uh, a product manager uh, for a, uh, in, in a company. And then I, re- I started to realize that, you know, the, the biggest pain point that our users are having is not about uh, what to do with the product as much as how to get certain things done. And so you would see all, all right. of these users come in and not be able to figure out you know, the path they want to take and things like that. And so um, it was fun to apply engineering and product thinking to creating learning paths and educating users and, mm. you know, bringing the sort of uh, product knowledge that they needed in order to be more successful with the product itself. And so it was not about features for me at that point versus uh, as much as it was about educating folks. And so I stepped into... um you know, developer education and developer relations. Um, and, you know, one product led to another. And um, it seemed like a lot of different developer-focused tools and products and projects were having this problem. And um, along the way, COVID happened and, um, you know, there was uh, there were a few job changes and stuff. And my first, like, full-time, fully open-source sort of role was with the cloud foundry uh, foundation and so um happened through conversations and things like that i came on board part-time and then um, a bunch of different changes at the foundation led to taking on more responsibilities vis-a-vis marketing and um, continue to focus on developer education for open source cloud foundry and things like that and yeah it's been a fun few years um with the cloud foundry community yeah, it, I, I mean, as you're describing, right? Often with a, uh, a a career path like yourselves, yourself, you end up doing a lot of different things, right? Like <laughs> I, I always think it, you know, you become you, your role becomes like being like a uh, to make a joke out of the old saying, you become like a hat rack. Like there's all sorts yeah. of different <laughs> things that you take on and do, right? Which, which I, you know, it it matches with that. Um, I haven't heard someone describe. DevRel outbound whatever role as like wanting to be academic, but it's true, right? Like you, you, there's, there's, there's two parts to it. One, there's like the wanting to educate people or wanting to share what you've learned with people to, to put it another Mm -hmm. way. But then two, there's also like the, how to take an engineering way to solve a problem or a structured way to solve a problem with an understanding of like the people involved. Right. Yeah. Which, which I think like I was just talking with someone yesterday who was trying to figure out, you know, in the best possible meaning of the phrase, how they were going to do digital <laughs> transformation of their business. And and they were needing they were needing to, like, find the existing business processes and figure out the new way they wanted to run the business. And right. it was reminding me that, like, a lot of what I see is people start to take a software product management view of looking at the business right thinking about Mm -hmm. who the users are and what work you want to do and but nowadays especially there's like i think most everyone many people have like grown up with software as a part of how they run their life (laughs) and so it's a lot easier like you don't have to force yourself to think about what would i like software to do here like you can be very imaginative about how it feeds in there and then of course like you know if you uh uh if if your your reading list is as boring as mine, like you know the the history of like management consulting is most of those firms are founded by engineers, which is an interesting right. 
thing to contemplate. So it's a very structured, like exploratory thing, just like an engineer would do. But anyways, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good, good path. Cause as I'm sure you encounter people always want to know, how can I get into that? seems like a great jump. <laughs> so it's always good to share. So, you know, I'll, the, the other thing is, is we've mentioned the cloud foundry foundation many times. So like what, tell us about that. Like what, obviously it's the, the, the foundation that's a steward of cloud foundry, but like, yeah. like, like what people not, not, you don't have to like name them, but like what kind of functions does it serve? What, what kind of like capability, capa capabilities does it have? Like, what does it do week to week? Like, what's how, how does it operate? So the foundation began originally as an independent nonprofit that was basically meant to be a vendor neutral sort of governance body for the Cloud Foundry project. Um, over time, um, you know, more projects were added to um, the foundation's portfolio, and also. In the year 2020, uh, we became a part of the Linux Foundation itself. So at the moment, we are a directed fund um, under the Linux Foundation. Um, we continue to have our own uh, members. Um, and, you know, the, the goal of the foundation really is to, I like, I like, I like to put it um, as it's responsible for two kinds of PRs. Um, there's, there's a, you know, pull requests that the community continues to do. And so we just make sure that everything runs smoothly. And there's also the press releases that we have to put out, which really goes to right. say, there's, there's a lot of marketing efforts and marketing push that the foundation does for the open source uh, Cloud Foundry project too. So um, it, it operates in these um, two major areas. So there's always like a bunch of uh, governance work that needs to be done. And there's also like a bunch of different marketing-ish work that needs to go in as well. And so there's there's the social media stuff. There's events that we host. Um, there's a lot of um, invited talks that um, happen through the foundation-owned media spaces like our YouTube channels and, you know, what have you. And um, there's also, you know, maintaining uh, some form of documentation and infrastructure for uh, open source cloud foundry that that the foundation is responsible for directly as well so yeah it, it seems like like thinking about what you're just saying that the you know among among many other let's call them shared services but but one that the linux foundation really spends a lot of time on is basically marketing right like the the, the shared like I, I don't know, especially in the tech world, people have all sorts of thoughts about marketing, which <laughs> depending on who you talk with are mostly inaccurate or not nice, <laughs> but like, <laughs> like, you know, just like any other thing, like marketing is like a, a, a profession that has a lot of like proven engineered skills behind it and, yeah. and things that you do. And like, it's not really like the uh the strength nor the interest of a lot of people who would be interested in working in open source so it's nice and it's all it's especially hard to find marketing people who like understand the other side of marketing software right <laughs> let, right. let alone open source stuff right so it makes sense that you would have like one of the benefits of of any like a big foundation like the linux foundation would be that we 
we want to make sure that we have like marketing and residence, so to speak, mm-hmm. as, as a service that people can go to, especially for, I mean, you made me think all of this when you mentioned press releases, right? Like, like yeah. there, there are a few marketing artifacts that people that are more n- necessary and less reviled than the press release. <laughs> like, <laughs> like few people like working on press releases, but they're like, they're such an integral part of, uh, of the world, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> it's almost like the asphalt thing, right? Like, I don't think anyone would say yeah. they enjoy like mixing and pouring asphalt, but <laughs> it's very required. <laughs> well, well, speaking of events, like the, um, so next week is uh, a, a Cloud Foundry Day. It's in, uh, is it, do you say Heidelberg? I, I, I forget how to say the, the yeah. name of the town. Heidelberg. But it's, uh, it's on Thursday, uh, June twenty first, and and uh, y'all y'all were nice enough to accept the talk that I submitted. So so that'll be fun to submit there. But like, what? Uh, just to give give people a little preview, like what uh, what can people expect at CF Day? So this year, a lot of the talks at Cloud Foundry Day are going to be about how Cloud Foundry is very successful at scale. Mm. So we're going to look at a lot of insider information from how did we accomplish XYZ when Cloud Foundry was running at like planet scale workloads both from uh, big vendors like so there's a bunch of talks by uh, folks from SAP um, some VMware and Tanzu folks too Um, there's also Any9s the other uh, smaller ish vendor that I was talking about and they've also come forward to share some of their lessons about how Cloud Foundry is operating at scale and how it's been very successful for them and their customers and things like that. So the big theme at the conference is going to be about, you know, big CF installations and how it's able to hold up, you know, hundreds and nearly thousands of applications um, as as uh, workloads and, um, you know, what breaks, what creaks and <laughs> what what's, uh, what's rough. Uh, for for the operators who are helping manage uh, Cloud Foundry instances that support these hundreds of applications and thousands of containers and what have you. So that's going to be the big theme at the conference. So we are um, having a live uh, conference at Heidelberg, like you mentioned. Um, there's also a virtual component uh, that people can uh, sign up for and don't have to necessarily miss out on the action. So it's designed as a hybrid event. Um, and yeah, we're uh, last I heard, we're very close to selling out um, on the on the physical um, version. Mm. So, uh, makes me very happy. Uh, it's been many, many years since uh, there, there's been a Cloud Foundry event in Europe. Um, so this is the first in probably four or five years. Um, what have yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, mean, oh, I mean, definitely, you, as, you, as you mentioned several times, all the, uh, the pandemic stuff. Yeah, <laughs> changed calendars around a lot. But I was interrupting you. What 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 were you saying? No, I was just saying. Uh, going to um, conclude by saying we're. I'm really looking forward to meeting a lot of people for the first time myself. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's it's a good location, and like like you were saying and indicating, because there is there's a lot of cloud foundry use, not only in you know in Europe, but especially in Germany, <laughs> at least yeah. that I know of. So it's uh, it's it's. 
hopefully it makes travel uh, easy for people to get there. But then also, like you're saying, there's there's the online component, which I think is you know, I mean, that that is one nice aspect of uh, of pandemic stuff. And so yeah, there could be yeah. a nice aspect is that it does seem conferences are generally well, they're not always like hybrid events, but now we all know how to do them. <laughs> right Correct. like like, yeah. like doing Correct. doing online events is not a big deal like it's it's Correct. pretty uh, straightforward <laughs> uh which which is a good effect well great well uh you know i mean if people were interested in more cloud foundry stuff or or yourself like wh- what would you point them at like where where could they look things up so cloudfoundry.org is always up to date with a lot of the information there's a blog where we put out you know a lot of the important stuff um, Twitter channels, um, so at Cloud Foundry uh, is the handle for the community stuff itself. Um, personally, I tweet from uh, Ram Iyengar, so first name, last name, no space in between. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out um, through either of these channels. And um, there's also a Cloud Foundry Slack that's mm-hmm. more focused um through, uh, around the community and like everybody who's a contributor is is hanging out there and um, will happy be happy to have a chat about Cloud Foundry. So you can lead uh, into Slack through cloudfoundry.org if you're looking for a way in. So I'd encourage people to reach out through these um, two, three-way channels. Yeah. Well, great. Well, it'll, it'll be nice to uh, meet you in person next week and, yeah. and uh, other Likewise. people as well. I'm looking forward to it. Well, as always, uh, this has been Tanzu Talk. You either watched the live streaming, a recording, or listened to a podcast of this. There's almost too many options. <laughs> but if you're, uh, if you're interested in the podcast, you can always go to tanzutalk.com and uh, subscribe to it. And I'll put some links in the show notes to, uh, to things that we mentioned. And uh, with that, thanks again. It was, it was fun. And we'll see everyone next Thank time. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Of course. Bye.